fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I am Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about Satan's role in Canada's medical assistance in dying with my friend Vienna. True. That is, in fact, what we will be talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to be talking as neutrally as possible um, because Jody has a cough that activates when he laughs. So I'm going to be steady and calm <laughs> so that Jody doesn't laugh or cough. <laughs> Right up, you can't do this. Right, right at the get go, Jesus. Uh, how are you, Vieto? I am doing well. <laughs> Fuck. Oh. It's really hard to maintain, especially with the cameras. Yeah, because it's like I everyone gets to hear the like uh, auditory neutralness, but I am seeing the <laughs> neutral facial expressions that go along with it. Oh my god. I'm doing well, Jody. How are you? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm recovering. Uh I've been sick. It feels like forever, but this like latest one has just been rough. It's not COVID related. Uh but it's it's I guess respiratory, I don't know. I've felt it mainly in the throat and like I've just been coughing up tons and tons of phlegm. But, uh, yeah, so we're delayed, but so is life. Well, <laughs> welcome to, to reality. But it, it's been a while, uh, and so uh, we figured let's let's just bang out a few episodes before this year's over as we uh, catch up. And I think this the week that we're covering now is just going to dip into December. So we've made it to the current month. So th- that's good. We're only three weeks behind, maybe a month. But we, but we're catching up fast. We will. It'll be like no time yeah. has happened. <laughs> Remember when you said, "Oh, we're all caught up." No, I we're know. Stay this way. And like, I don't believe in jinxes, but like, maybe I have to because you were right. We jinxed it. Mm-hmm. You got a job. It's made you more busy. I keep getting ill. It's it's an omen. This is. <laughs> yeah. It's Satan's magic. Accept, <laughs> Satan's you involved in the, the reality of the universe. No, Satan's fucking up our show, Vienna. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, we might as well get to the real life Satan and uh, <laughs> move on to uh, some rebel news. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. Oh, we are covering the week of November 28th to December 2nd. And starting off on November 28th, uh, there's nothing really special that happens on this episode. It's just like the previous month was all the Emergency Act inquiry stuff. So the Monday episode was like, you know, as we said last episode, the the Friday before was the Justin Trudeau spoke at the inquiry and it was like their big huzzah or whatever. So now they're like wrapping it all up now that it's finished. And he has four people on to talk about it. 
So he talks with this person named Eva Chipiak. And from the clip we played last week, she's the lawyer that got to ask Trudeau some of the questions. And she doesn't say much, uh, but we'll go to, get into that in a second. We, we also hear from Sheila Gunn-Reed, of course, Celine Gallus, who is one of their employees, although she's super boring. And uh, we also get to hear from, of course, Alexa Lavoie, because do, do you know what happened? What, ha what happened to Alexa, you know? She was shot and killed. <laughs> yes. Murdered by the police that knew what they were doing and specifically targeted her. She knows because she's a ghost now. <laughs> so she haunted Trudeau and has proof. Yes, true. Very true. Very, very yes. true. So Ezra first talks to Eva, Chipiak, and they seem to focus on this one clip. And I didn't play it because it's just like, why bother? Like, the clip actually paints Trudeau in a good light. Like, it shows him saying, like, he wished he could vaccinate more people. And, like, he really just cared about these COVID restrictions because he wanted to help people and whatnot. And, like, sincere or not, like, it still shows him, like, oh, look, here's Trudeau, someone who cares about other people. And they, of course, try to, like, spin this as... This is like his narcissism or hero complex. Like he's, leave it to Trudeau, think he could just save people or something like this. Uh, and and then, of course, they also criticize him wanting to vaccinate people because, like, the vaccines are bad and whatnot, right? But, like... It's his internalized Stalinism. Um, he wants to be the father of the nation so badly that... You know, whenever he disappoints, he has to go on camera and say, oh, I was just trying to be a good father. I just wanted to be your dad. And Rebel News, the rebellious teenagers, they say, no, you're not my real dad. Fidel Castro is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's just silly. And like again, like I'm actually surprised they played that clip to the their audience. Although it's like, I don't think it could break through to their audience in any way. It's just like out of everything that Trudeau said at that commission, that was the one portion where I was like somewhat sympathetic to to Trudeau. So it's just weird that they use that as like another moment to try to gotcha him or something. Mm -hmm. So then we move on to Sheila Gunn Reed's contribution to this segment. And it moves into this weird discussion about class. We had some of it last episode uh, because Ezra thinks that, you know, the truckers are lower to working class and there's the elitists in Ottawa, even though that's not true at all. And even like it, there's some of the people that he singles out as being truckers, you look into their like history, they're not truckers. And they're usually people in careers that have a higher income bracket than most working class people. But he thinks there's some like weird class dynamic going on there. And so I'm going to play a clip. And in the clip, it begins by talking about how Lincoln J was one of the only reporters on the ground, unlike the rest of like the mainstream media. And 
I mean, right away, I'll just say that that's silly. There was obviously tons of media on the ground during that thing. I, As someone yeah. who sat and watched tons of it, I was not just watching through, like, the more independent people that were, like, running around, but also mainstream media was, was covering a lot of it. Uh, on the ground, even. Not, uh... I, I think it, even, even Evan Solomon, didn't somebody throw a beer at him? I remember that being a big, uh... Evan Solomon with CTV. Someone threw a beer at him during it or something, and it was it became a thing. Like, oh my god, someone assaulted uh, Evan Solomon. <laughs> but either way, uh, so in this clip, he's gonna he's gonna slightly talk about the Lincoln J thing and move off of it, and then start talking uh, about Ottawa generally. Now, I will say I did edit this clip because in the middle of the clip, he goes on this wild tangent about. Uh, uh, vaccine uptake that is just kind of irrelevant to the class issue so I, i'm just gonna play the i smushed together two bits uh, i just removed that one thing so in in the guise of fairness i'm just letting you know i did clip it but uh the context it doesn't like ruin context here or anything so but here's here's ezra talking about class because even if lincoln is not as seasoned a journalist as some of these superannuated you know, regime journalist at the CBC. He actually was standing there. He actually yeah. wasn't hiding under his desk in his uh, tower. Oh, my God, the peasants are coming. The peasants are revolting. Who? Oh, they most certainly are. The truckers are revolting. Oh, they certainly are revolting. You know, I mean, the, this... I, I, I watched too much of that show called Game of Thrones, and the name of their capital city was King's Landing. And it was a squalid, corrupt, incestuous capital. And and that's what the good denizens of Ottawa felt like when these revolting truckers, how dare they? Can't you keep your protest out, out in the colonies? Why are you coming to King's Landing? You know, that's what it was like. And, yeah. uh, and you, you know, the very first day of the commission, you had this low-level government bureaucrat named Zexy Lee who was who was talking about all the microaggressions that I worked for the government and there was these truckers and they honked and I really felt like I was assaulted. Oh my God, Zexy, were you assaulted? No, but I sort of felt like it. Well, did anyone touch yeah. you? No. Well, were you afraid to go on the streets? Well, no, actually I spent a lot of time out there and took a lot of photos and filmed them and talked to people, but I was terrified. Yeah. Oh, so you just thought they were low class because they were truckers, not someone with a fancy government unionized, uh, you know, desk job doing IT for Services Canada or whatever her job was. Like, it, it was such a classism. Thank there. you. How dare you, peep, don't, no, A, know your place. B, don't you know that your job is to listen to the media, not be citizen media? Yeah. And how dare you honk your horn at us? Oh, how dare you honk your horn? You honk your horn at me? I mean, I locked you in your house. I banned you from cross-border travel. I banned you from taking airplanes or trains or boats in the second largest country in the world. I banned you from the public square. I banned you from restaurants, gyms, and stores. But how dare you honk your horn, sir? Do you not know who I am, sir? I am Zexy Lee. Was Zexy Lee? What, who are you? Well, I'm a 23-year-old who works for the government. And I didn't like the honking, not one bit, sir. Yeah. Okay, well, better throw the whole country into martial law because Zexy Lee heard a horn honk. Yeah. She heard a horn yeah. honk, people. Where's your sense of compassion? Oh, my God. There's almost like a, a class, like, for one, I mean, like, Ezra, 
is not of the working misogyny. Class. Oh, just right off the bat, yeah. Sorry, but uh, but just that the like as if someone who's working in IT is is like. I I almost imagine that there's people in IT that probably get paid less than some truckers out there. You know what I mean? Like, I... <laughs> IT and tech workers famously unexploited. It's also weird because like, I, well, it's not weird. I mean, like, what he's going on is like Zexy Lee. Her whole testimony during the Emergencies Act inquiry was she was someone who lived uh, around where the truckers were accumulating and honking of the horns. And, like, he plays it off as, like, oh, well, no one assaulted me, like, kind of stuff. But her testimony, like, was kind of revealing. In Like, there was, like, one moment, too, where she's talking about how one of her neighbors had just recently had a kid. And how they had to nurse the kid in, like, the hallway where it dampened the sound more than in their apartment. Just so they can get their child to go to sleep during this. For, like, the mm-hmm. two weeks that this was happening. And it's, like... What about that dynamic here? It's it's almost like those people's lives. Like, he makes them sound like they're just these upper-class people. And it's like, it was just people living their lives that now just had a barrage of just honking 24-7, keeping them up at night, driving them crazy, basically. Yeah. But, like, that doesn't fit into his picture at all. He just has to paint them as these peasants. Ooh. The other thing is, like, that they never like touch on at all is that oh perhaps everybody was affected by the restrictions it's just that most people didn't throw a tantrum over it they're just like ah shit i guess we got to do this for a while and then they did it for a while like there's just, like, he has no capability of, like, sympathy for anybody who, like, suffers because of the actions that, like, people he thinks are good do. Yep. Yeah. And no, like, sense of humanity for the other people. Because, like, even in some of, uh, I mean, her testimony also had incidents where, like, a truck tried to run her over as she was trying to, like, take pictures of, uh, their license plate and then like he threatened her and flipped her off and like other stuff so it's like there was yeah. acts where like it didn't reach the level where she was like physically assaulted or something like this but like she even describes it as the opportunity was there which uh the the freedom convoy lawyer freedom corp uh took issue with i mean he yeah. and and then the lawyers pushbacks against her as well were just ridiculous because they tried to play it like well you work for the government so therefore you're somehow involved in all of this meanwhile she's like a low <laughs> low level person that works for service canada uh yeah and even Ezra like you could hear it in like what he said here was like you locked us down what the fuck did she have to do with it she works in an <laughs> she is like a super low level bureaucrat like what control does she have I mean, it's the same thing where, like, you know, you go into Walmart and you complain to the cashier about, you know, oh, the prices are going up, or oh, you know, I had bad quality, whatever. And it's like, the cashier doesn't know that. The cashier doesn't have anything to do with, like, product acquisition or pricing. Like, yeah, it, it's the same thing, really. Um, but also, again, like, he just lashes on to a woman to like a young woman who's yeah. uh 
you probably wouldn't know this from the audio medium, but not white as well. So yeah, yeah. No, I I remember who it was. It was just kind of like yeah, like, but it's like you know, he hears a woman voice a complaint, and it's just gotta be like, oh, it's time to make fun of her and call and like trivialize anything that she's gone through, and like, you know do your best to say her name as many times so that people latch on to it so that people send her hate like it's just they have this like awful pattern and yep yeah i should say too for what it's worth if anyone knows ottawa as well i mean it is true that the i mean obviously given that it is the seat of our uh federal government that there are a lot of like politicos there and that that kind of people and even bureaucrats i mean a lot of the uh and he says union what he's talking about there mainly is psac that represents a lot of the the people down there and so like that's all true to some extent but it's not like that is all of ottawa like ottawa is a like it's half a million people if not more and you know i've spent quite a bit of time there and there are tons of working class people living in the same areas where those truckers were blaring their horns day in and day out mm-hmm. and talk about disrupting people from like doing their work going to work do it like any of that like for some reason for him it's like no we have to listen to the particular working class or quote-unquote working class people that i like and screw everyone else and it's like no i'm sorry that's not how a uh, class politics works you know but anyways i just it's so weird that they're i I feel like that class angle is like the only thing he has now because like yeah it it was even on friday like when they were doing their other wrap-up it's like that's the only one where he gets animated where he he puts on this exaggerated thing like uh you know it's the upper class trying to like put down but but the other weird part about it's like he doesn't even do a good job of selling it beyond putting on the act that we just heard. Like, he doesn't actually, like, point to specifics or get into uh, any details about it. It's just, like, some vague sense about the elites, you know? But that's, like, that's all that he needs these days, right? Like, you know, it's the World Economic Forum Yuval Harari thing. Like, you just need to say something and put it out there. You don't need to, like elaborate on it beyond saying like oh i'm i just wonder how much this will connect with people in in the same sense that i feel like pierre does a similar type of politic where it's this hand wave gesture towards the working class and i see a lot of left-wing people like worried about that and like i am too because like that's you know you look at history when fascism has come about this is the move that they make it's just like i don't know how well uh at least in terms of like with the COVID stuff, how well this is working for either Ezra or Pierre. Uh, It's clearly Mm -hmm. working with a certain subset of the population, but will that translate outwards? I mean, I hope not, but it's, I think it's hard to tell at least from this moment how successful that is. I guess we won't really know until uh, the next federal election for Pierre anyways. And it's also like end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much that like if it works or not directly like right now it's it's the process of becoming and trying it out before like 
you know, with the end of like, oh yeah, it will be a like fascist movement. And considering the way things are going, they're just working out their mass appeal angle until until it's no longer until they got it (laughs) no until it works really like well i mean no longer useful because they've obtained power in some and they can go back no exactly um yeah like it's i don't know like regardless of what happens to pierre regardless of what happens to ezra things ain't looking so good yeah, it's just in terms of I I I guess it's only relevant in terms of how much of a wedge they can drive between people actually yeah. building a working class movement, uh, and whether they're successful at at least sufficiently draining those numbers in some capacity. And uh, I don't know, I, like to me, and it's hard from my perspective because, like, I mean, we cover these people nonstop, and so like I just have that readily available. But also, it just seems. It just seems so silly to me. Like I, I don't, I don't feel like Pierre or Ezra are good salesmen for this like pitch. Uh, yeah. But like I can't tell if that's my bias <laughs> or like you know what I mean. And it's so it's like I want some sort of like tangible like evidence, and it's hard to like pull for that kind of like vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. So Ezra goes on to suggest that because we didn't have anything like January 6th happen, uh, that therefore there was no concern at all. And then he goes on to downplay January 6th. So like we've talked about it before, there was no point in clipping it, but he keeps on bringing up this Ray Epps thing. Uh, And we've discussed this before. Ray Epps was someone who on January 6th was caught on video telling people to go to the Capitol. And he was an oath keeper. But then people like found that he like... They were trying to connect him to the FBI or something like this. And so now, like, all the Oath Keepers and all these far-right people have turned against him, even though there's mm-hmm. no evidence that he was a Fed at all. He just has become this, like, scapegoat for the far-right for why the January 6th thing was some sort of, like, inside job or something like that. And so Ezra keeps bringing him up as if to say that January 6th wasn't, like, what what you think it was, it was really like an FBI-motivated false flag thing. But then, just for a, a, a tad bit of like an additional thing, Ezra ends his piece by Sh- with Sheila asking her a really important question, which I think, like for, at least for Ezra, is the most important question you could ask one of his employees. Well, Sheila, I'm so glad you you helped us uh, anchor our coverage on this for the past month. I appreciate that. And you spent some of the time in Ottawa, but you, like I say, this was a very citizen-friendly project. Last question to you. What was was your impression of the Airbnb pop-up studio? Because we crowdfunded that. We haven't received the final bill yet. So for those who want to help out, not just for the Airbnb, cost us about 15 grand for the Airbnb. And then we were constantly flying journalists in to the Airbnb from, uh, they would usually drive from Toronto, but we flew in some folks from Calgary and elsewhere. So our, our total bill, I haven't seen it yet. It wouldn't surprise me if our total bill for that pop-up studio for the month was $30,000. So we, we made a big investment in it. What was, how was it? I mean, just being in that 
house with the pop-up studio and the guys. I it, it had a tiny bit of a fraternity feeling, not in, that it was yeah. parties, but you got a bunch of guys away from home, having fun, working together. Um, what was it like when you were there? I thought it was great. Um... <laughs> so I, I cut off her answer only because it's like, it's so, I, I feel like she does, she realizes she's in the like, pitch segment where she's trying to like bring in money and she's not a good sales uh, person <laughs> but uh do you, i i mean like clearly they're they're running a grift here i've just mm. like never seen them like promote the grift this much for one specific thing like they really want you to know that they spent all this money on an airbnb and they really want you to donate to them and I don't know why this 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 Airbnb is just the one thing where they're like, we really need to get that money back, and we really need to sell it to you. We're we're entering a recession. Maybe donations <laughs> have gone down. Yeah, it's weird too because Sheila was like, "Well, it was modest," <laughs> and then I'm like, "Sheila, you're not. You're, you have to sell how like in great it was and important it was to like justify the expenses coming in. Come on." It's just like weird. Like imagine like what a journalist. The most important question you need to ask a reporter covering this thing is, how was your Airbnb? <laughs> Please tell me, how was your sleep at night? Was it comfy? Please tell me, how can we recoup the costs <laughs> of your reporting? <laughs> so he then talks to Selena. It's not there's nothing to talk about. Selena is boring. And then we get to, of course, the most important part of this whole episode, which is Alexa, because, of course, Alexa was shot. And uh, we need to know that every week. I, th I think I've heard this clip, but I w we're not going to hear the clip. But Ezra is going to pitch to the clip again. And again, he's talking to Alexa while pitching to the clip. And so this is <laughs> this is how he sets up the uh, Alexa got shot clip. Great to see you. And you were on my mind during the Commission of Inquiry because for all the talk of the potential violence of the truckers, there was no violence from the truckers. There, there was no shooting. There was no smashing. There was no rioting. But there was a person who was shot. And it was you. You were shot with a riot gun. You were hit by riot police. And so the violence came from the government side. And as you know, we're suing the government. People who don't know what I'm referring to can go to standwithalexa.com. In fact, I just want to show a brief clip of that. And I'm sorry, you probably hate to see it. And I hate to look at it. But we can't forget it. We can't let it be swept under the rug. We can't let Trudeau gaslight us, if you know what I mean. Here's a clip of that terrible moment. And I'll come back and I'll share some quick thoughts with people and then I'll bring you in, Alexis. Great to see you. Here's, here's a clip of that terrible day and I'm sorry to show this because it was a, an atrocity that was done to you, but people have to see it. Take a look. Now, of course, I've, I've edit, edited out the actual clip because we don't need to hear it again. It's, at least to our ears, it'll just be Alexa screaming for two minutes. Uh, and, and the thing is, her screaming seemed genuine. I'm pretty sure she was hurt. Like, all, all that's true. And so part of me is like, given that she was, you know, likely, if not traumatized this, at least like harmed by this, to then be like, let's, I'm sure <laughs> as a person who experienced this, please relive it with me so that we can uh, 
gains sympathy bucks for us playing this fucking clip. It's just so weird. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, you saw in that clip too. Like, he barely lets Alexa talk. It's all like, you know, we got, and it's like, you, if anything, you know, you would think you'd be like, can we play this clip? Do you mind if we share it? Or like, <laughs> that would be the most like sympathetic way to going about this. But it's just like, oh, hush, hush, I know you really don't want to see it, but we're going to play it anyways because they're going to gaslight us if we don't play it, you know? Yeah, it's also like, you could play that before she joins. Yeah. Like... <laughs> she have to be present (laughs) yeah why did she have to see it again (laughs) and i'll tell you like her voice like i can't tell if uh like on this episode whether she's putting it on or not but she sounds like upset after having watched it like genuinely upset that i'm just like ezra (laughs) why are you doing this and like i don't even like alexa i just it's like cruel for no reason yeah and like everyone in their audience has heard this clip by now he plays it every week like did we really need to hear it again it's just so cruel for no reason could be like (laughs) the motto of rebel news oh my god he i mean he also ends it by saying like i guess in the lawsuit they have more information that the cops actually knew who Alexa was. And I don't know what he's talking about, but like it's, it it doesn't surprise me if like the Ottawa police force knew who Alexa and rebel news was, you know, whether that means they specifically targeted her with a riot munition. Like, I don't mean to be like rude to Alexa also, she doesn't have, like, defining characteristics that I could, like, pull out of a crowd. Like, she looks like a pretty generic person. She was wearing like a, a scarf at the time, Like a pretty generic too, white woman. Whoa, you're wearing a scarf in winter? Like, No, I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, defining features, even if you said she had defining features, she yeah. had her face pretty much covered up. Yeah, yeah, but, like, like, it's just, like, no defining clothes... Like, you know, not a press jacket, not a, you know. I mean, she would have had the, the rebel microphone or whatever, but. Yeah. Cause but, like, but again, like, like, that's... do you think the police are, like, sco- like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pol- the roof snipers that didn't exist. <laughs> uh, you know, we're looking for at everybody's microphone and being like, oh, is that a news company that Justin Trudeau approves of? And if it wasn't, then they were just, like, gunning for them. With yeah. horses or whatever. It's just, it's so stupid. I, and like, this is, this is all they have. They have the Alexa got shot thing that they're never going to stop. And that weird, ooh, class stuff. Uh, that That's that's their whole convoy analysis and emergency act inquiry analysis. And I mean, we, we had our final words in our last episode. And I guess like, we're just sort of reiterating them right now. But it's like, like this, this is it. Like, I, I hope this ends... <laughs> trucker talk at least for the near future i think it's gonna go away for a bit so unless yeah. there's the trucker convoy too that people have been speculating about for this february but i feel like unite the right two. it's not gonna happen or it's gonna mm-hmm. happen and like five people are gonna show up so that's it end of the trucker stuff we move on to november 29th 
And uh, this is the episode where Ezra wants to talk about the protests that were happening in China. And what's interesting is, again, like doing this with the delay that we have, given that things on the ground in China have changed since where they were back when Ezra was initially talking about this on this episode. And they have kind of like, I mean, fizzled out's the wrong word, but like they have gained some concessions from the Chinese government and there's been like other things that happened, right? And so they have yeah. kind of fizzled out, but not necessarily because like, you know, they, they failed or something like this. Of course, these things are often fluid as well. So it's like, will the government say they conceded for the pro, you know, like, but that's not the point. The point is like things have kind of dithered and changed and whatnot. But Ezra opens the segment by talking about how these protests were the biggest protests since Tiananmen Square. And I, I mean, there's probably some truth to that, but like his framing is wanting to frame it in like a pro-democracy lens, which is like partially like I'm not saying that element wasn't in these current protests. But, like, they had other demands that were beyond just the, the pro-democracy aspects of stuff. Uh, but, of course, it's like that's the narrow lens by which he's going to view any protest movements. The same thing they did with the, the movements in Cuba. Uh, the same thing they've done with the, the movements in Iran as well. Uh, and it's one of those things, like, I, I even saw, like, the people who are ostensibly on the left have things to say about the China thing and how, like, uh, you know, siding with the government against the protesters and and using the right as like they'll they'll gesture towards the right, being like, look, the right wing supports them, so therefore, and like, I always want to say like their support on the right wing is always so superficial, and you can tell, like, uh, yeah. and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're like controlling things or that somehow like. You know, it's the CIA to blame for these Chinese workers who are frustrated with the government because of some of these COVID uh, policies. Yeah, I mean, it's... I wonder... Like, obviously not. But, like, it would have been very funny if, like, after these protests got major concessions at a level that none of the, like, so-called, like, anti-COVID... Uh, or like you know anti-lockdown whatever protested in the west if like suddenly the right pivot and was like wow chinese democracy because <laughs> that's the thing is like you know they say like oh pro-democratic they mean like i don't know what they mean by that because it's like what i don't know like, like china has a democracy it just works very differently than the like western liberal ideal or whatever um but yeah like like it was just kind of like oh wow these restrictions are you know too much and like beyond what the who says and like anti-scientific and the protesters were right about that and then the government changed their position maybe a little bit too far even um but like you know, it was a very quick response of like, okay, you know, we have people that aren't just like Foxconn factory workers mad at this now. You know, we're changing our policies, which is like, like, again, like, I 
don't have a lot of support for the Chinese government, but like I can't imagine a government in the West like having like a few thousand people at a protest and then reversing national like policy. I mean, we had the Black Lives Matter movement, and what <laughs> what did we get for that? You know, we got yeah, all these like talks the UK about, has... like we're gonna, and then and then we didn't even defund the police, and then. <laughs> They still say that we did, and like, yeah. And the UK has their entire healthcare system on strike right now, and the prime minister is just like, "We're not fucking paying you more." Like, yeah, it's, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 wild. But I mean, like, it's also weird too because, like, as you were talking about, like, whether they've gone too far, like, because the COVID thing is a hard thing to navigate. Like, I, I don't think that it's easy, and so. There are certain things about the zero COVID policy that I didn't necessarily think were bad. Obviously, some of them uh, went way too far, which is why I was largely supportive of these protests. But like, I mean, there's also issues like with, you know, the U.S. not being great with its patents in terms of like helping the Chinese government have the mRNA vaccine. There's also been a response to that as the Chinese government sort of based on their own uh, national pride didn't want to accept the mRNA vaccines. And so it's like, you have these competing forces that like are just harming the people on the ground who who actually take covid seriously because they have to work in these conditions and like it's amazing because like Ezra is a covid denier so like in watching mm. some of the videos that he plays in this episode he did have to take a second to be like oh they're wearing masks and this is largely either because they're being forced to because of covid compliance or they're trying to hide their identity when it's like if you actually read some of the uh yeah translated uh, speeches that they were given these were people who actually like spoke to the nature of covid and why they were wearing masks still because they actually believed that this thing was a real threat they just thought that the government was handling it incorrectly right yeah uh it's just amazing like that that has to be completely ignored from uh Ezra's analysis of what happened in, in china I mean, the the other weird thing is, is he keep so he kept using uh, TikTok and playing TikTok videos, and all while saying that like TikTok is actually like Chinese spyware and that you can't trust anything that you see on there. But all of his like evidence of the protests happening were all on TikTok, and I'm just like, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> yeah, I I will end this segment because like he doesn't say much the whole segment is basically him playing the tiktok videos and that's it and like you know sprinkle in his like chinese conspiracy stuff that he always has but he ends mm. on a note that it's a racist note but it's like one he's hit before and i just when he first said it like with me listening to the show i was just like taken aback by how absurd this statement is or this argument is uh and so it's worth, I mean, we've covered it. He said it like multiple times. I think the first time I heard it, I was surprised that he was going to go on and say it multiple times. But this is, this is a continued position that he has that I just find patently absurd. So here it is. Again, these are unarmed people. They don't have the Second Amendment. Uh, they don't have firearms. Uh, Mao saw to that. The first rule of uh, totalitarians is after the revolution, seize all the guns. That's why the people of Hong Kong were sitting ducks, you know, um, Mahatma Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi and his passive resistance, it only worked because the people he was resisting were British. 
And although they were colonialists and imperialists and militarists, they were also, in the bottom, classical liberals. These were the people who freed the world of the scourge of slavery. These are the people who believed in the dignity of every... It, you cannot sacrifice yourself and have that work against a Stalin or a Mao or a Xi Jinping or a Hitler. It only works against a Queen Victoria. Mao, famous for disarming the people. No significant second civil war is happening there. You know, no great proletarian cultural revolution where 14-year-olds had assault rifles and took over their schools. Like, Wasn't there a famous quote of his about, like, you know, about the revolution Power growing guns? out of the barrel... Yeah. Grows out of the barrel of a gun, yeah. Uh, and, like, you know, what does he think fucking Tiananmen Square was? Like, it was not unarmed people. It was... People stringing up army officers and taking their weapons. Like, well, I know there was like a huge crackdown on firearms, but it wasn't until 1996, which, as far yeah. as I could tell, was long after Mao. <laughs> yeah, was and was a reaction to like, like, and was a part of like the liberalization. It was yeah. like a okay, we're opening up the markets and like getting rid of a lot of the social protections. You know, we've crushed the last Maoist uprising in Tiananmen Square, and <laughs> yeah, it's uh, his like his historical analysis is just silly. But like, I I know I'm just blown away by like there's something innate to the British that like like you could oh, read yeah, yeah. any of this stuff about colonialism, and it is horrifying what the British did, <laughs> like just utterly horrifying, uh, especially in that part of the, the like the world, like. Like there was a re like even if you were to, like take what he's saying at face value, why did mm -hmm. why did Gandhi need to do anything? Right, like <laughs> if the British were so nice and so good, there would be no need to to fight them, right? <laughs> Gandhi just would have been like, oh, everything's good. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, it's also like hmm. What significant mass deaths had occurred less than 10 years prior to all that? Perhaps the starving of, like, upwards of 3 million Indian people? That Churchill was just like, ah, they'll have more kids, it's fine. So that they could continue exporting rice? Uh, you know, like, and also, like, Oh, perhaps maybe they were like, ah, oh, yeah, Gandhi, he's racist and sucks. That's that's the good one. We don't want to give it to like the armed people who are like on the verge of, you know, rebellion again. Like, no, you see, the British people just classically liberally let them starve. <laughs> yes, and after uh, the Indian mutiny in like the eighteen fifty seven or whatever, you know. They classically liberally tied people to cannons and then fired them. Uh, I it, it is also funny, like because we just talked about the concessions that were made too, and and it, like the protesters didn't need to have guns to get those concessions. Like it's just the whole analysis here is just super fucking silly. But it's like I I am just blown away that he. It's like what the first time I heard him have to say that there's something innate about the British that makes them. Eat. I, I like I don't know more amenable to other people's revolutions or something. What the hell? It's just like a, uh, they he accept nonviolence. Yeah, 
He's said that before. Well, he's said it multiple times now. This is like yeah, the yeah. third or fourth time we've heard it. It just blows my mind every time he says it. Because I was like, the first time he said it, I was just like, you're silly. What are you, what are you doing? But it's like, this is clearly like a part of his like worldview. Like he's now said it multiple times. And it still shocks me at how just stupid, <laughs> stupid that idea yeah. is. In uh, like the famines in India in the 1890s. Uh, no, 1880s, sorry. Um, those British classical liberals were so opposed to, um, putting controls on the free market that they let, like, again, millions of people starve to death. So, you know, they just kept doing it because they're classical liberals and... Oh, when they created the first concentration camps in the Boer War, they, fence board by fence board, were done classically liberally. <laughs> well, I bet, I bet those fence boards were placed, were purchased under the free market, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, especially if you stretch the free market to mean just plundering and, and looting other yeah. people for the resources, then yeah. Classically, That's... liberally, they did free marketly build these concentration camps in another person's country. You're right, Vienna. And, you know, under under the orders and uh, with the funds of the British Empire. So, <laughs> again, like, you know, the, that invisible hand does does wonderful things. Oh, my God. What a joke. What a joke of a human being. So, uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> We get to the interview segment, and uh, I mean, in the clip we're going to play, he's going to introduce who the guest is, but like, this is how he opens up, and it is the most convoluted and weird analogy that one can make. So here's how he opens up the interview segment. And I think the same sort of hocus-pocus science is at play with the theory of man-made global warming. Just like there were strange rules about how COVID... Well, here's an example. Remember when you would go into a restaurant and you could take off your mask when you were sitting down, but if you stood up, you had to put your mask on because the virus knew if you were standing or sitting. Same thing on an airplane. You had to wear your mask, except for if you were having peanuts or coffee or water, then the virus knew not to attack you. Well, that same sort of fuzzy thinking is for global warming science. Here's what I mean. Global warming is such a menace. Carbon dioxide is so dangerous that we have to tax you at the gas pump. But, and this is the science part here, we have to tax you a different amount in Quebec than if you're in another province, say, Alberta. It's like those funny COVID rules. Carbon dioxide is different in Quebec, you know, and it reacts differently to different tax rates. If you think I'm kidding, well, our new guest... Our next guest has a press release on this subject that explains the math, not the so-called science. I'm talking about my friend Franco Terrazano with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So I, I edited because well, Franco has nothing to say. I mean, they, they spend the whole episode making this a uh, why does Quebec get special treatment segment, and I don't care. Did you know that Quebec is the only jurisdiction in the world that has banned oil and gas exploration? Why are certain things different in one situation and different in a different situation, Piano? Why? (laughs) 
why do we treat those people who constantly want to leave uh <laughs> differently <laughs> like even like the covid scenarios are so silly to me because it's like okay the reason why like you don't wear the mask when you're sitting as opposed to standing is because the assumption is if you're at a restaurant if you're sitting at your table you're eating the food in front of you and you can't eat the food with your mask on so yes while eating you are susceptible to covid but the idea is to limit the amount of overall risk such that when you're walking around and not eating, you can easily wear a mask. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, like, why he thinks that, like, that the scientists think that there's this, like, magical thing that when you're sitting and e eating, like, COVID can't get you. They don't say that. It's because you're short and the, the COVID doesn't, can't really look down that well. So, you know, you're just ducking under. But then equivalently with the, the global warming stuff, it's like, yeah, as you said, Quebec does other things that the other provinces don't do. So they're treated differently because of that. Uh, and as you said, maybe because they do want to separate, they get treated differently. But they are. They have a different culture, et cetera. Like there's there's different things that have happened. Right. So it's like, OK, it's, it's almost like this had nothing to do with the science and more to do with the political reality for why there's a, a taxation difference here. Maybe the territory that we need to send the army into it at least once every 50 years <laughs> uh, to put down. <laughs> maybe they're trying to, like, not have to do that this time. You know, maybe they want to make it to the 50-year mark. We haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> like. <laughs> God. I mean, yeah. Well, well, like, what was the last time we did the War Measures Act, right? <laughs> it's just. Well, Oka was the last yeah. invasion also, you know, like. It's. I, I, part of me wants to say that he isn't this stupid. But I, I don't I don't know anymore. <laughs> like, if you can if you can believe whatever bullshit that you just came, like came out of your mouth right in this segment. That that's so silly. It's so obviously boneheadedly stupid. And yet he keeps doing it like it, his analysis of how like and the funny thing is, again, like if you go back to early 2020, when this was like first rolling out, he had a way better handle of this stuff, which is like what always brings me back to is he can't be this stupid, but he's like incorporated it into his whole being now. He's just COVID is is magical and he like hasn't read a scientific thing on it in forever. So wonderful. Yeah. But yes, the global, I mean, like, listening to them drone on about taxes, Franco is like the, the worst because it's like his whole segment is, did you know that taxes are bad? Great, Franco. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. Great. So we get to the mailbag segment and he, they had two interesting pieces of mail. The, the first I'm not going to play a clip for. But it's, I guess someone called in to complain about the uh, retraction of their Nazi flag story that we covered last episode. Someone was upset that they were mean to the Freedom Corp lawyer. Uh, and Ezra defends himself being like, we need to hold our side accountable, blah, blah. And he says a lot of like, 
non-objectionable things. It's just I wish he applied it more to like all of their work and not, <laughs> not just as one story. Uh, so there is that. But then they get another letter. And I'm not going to play him reading the letter because it's quite long. But the gist of it is like, it's like this weird conspiracy theory that during the uh, interaction between uh, Eva and Trudeau when she was asking him question, that he like differentiated between the anti-vaxxers and the unvaccinated as like two different Mm -hmm. concepts. And there's some like wacky fringe group that thinks he might have committed perjury or something having to do with the usage of these words or something. And uh, so they think that like, oh, like him saying unvaccinated opposed to like anti-vax is like his way of like trying to like prevent himself from being caught in this like perjury thing or something. This is wacky conspiracy. I have no fucking clue what's going on. It sounds insane. And Ezra himself doesn't buy it. So it isn't like fully worth like getting into it, but like Mm -hmm. in his analogy. So Ezra like reads the letter and sort of like basically agrees with me that like, you're not going to beat Trudeau with some sort of like, I have this one legal trick thing. So like, okay, cool. I agree with you, Ezra. But then he makes this weird analogy between, like, the use of these two terms of, like, like, uh, anti-vaxxer and unvaccinated. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's a weird analogy. I guess we've got two two weird analogies in a row, but here you go. He says, oh, I don't hate unvaccinated. I hate anti-vaxxers. He's... He's pretending there's an important difference. It's like people who say, oh, I don't hate the Jews. No, 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 no. I don't hate the Jews. I just hate Israel and Zionists. I'm fine with the Jews. Oh, really? Uh, it's maybe a distinction without a difference. I don't get it. Well, you see, the funny thing is, like, he says it's a distinction without a difference for unvaccinated and anti-vax. And I'm like, no, there's an <laughs> actual distinction there because I think you could be unvaccinated but that could be because you had a medical reason. It could be, be just because you didn't know about it. You you weren't vaccinated, right? But an anti-vaxxer is someone who's like actively against vaccines. Like that is a distinction with a difference. <laughs> yeah. But then the like, it's just like calling some are saying, I don't. <laughs> I don't like Zionist, but I'm not anti-Semitic. And it's like. I don't know how these two are analogous. And like, also, that's that's not true as well. Like <laughs> that in, in that case, I, that is, a, again, a distinction with a difference. You a, a Jew so he's is right. not a Zionist. Well, no, but the, he's wrong about that one because he he thinks that they're actually. I don't know what the hell he's saying anymore. He's <laughs> right because both of them are different. Both of them are different. Yeah. You know, he's right because, yeah, they are similar because unvaccinated and anti-vax are different and anti-Semitism. No, no and but he's saying he's saying both of them are not different. So just like anti-vax is no different yeah, no, than I know unvaccinated, he's... Zionist is no different than Jew. But it's like, no, Jew is not synonymous with Zionist. They're not the same thing. Yeah, I know. I was. I was... You, this this whole thing has broken my brain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that I don't think this was my best one either. So <laughs> I 
Ezra's dumb and wrong. We can move on now. I just want to know, like, this day was his day to be like, I just, I'm just going to pull out wacky analogies. That's good. <laughs> we get to November 30th. And this is the made segment of the program. And I don't know if you heard about this, but, like, the most... The large part of this episode, and we'll get to it in a second, surrounds this advertisement by a Quebec fashion company named Simon. And they put out a video that was like, I, I guess like the best way I can describe it is a kind of like promotional video for Made. But the way they did it was they, they had someone who was going to go through with Made. And it discussed her decision and her follow through and how she's come to peace with it. And like, I guess the point of the video was to sort of like frame like this is a choice and it's my choice and it's okay to be able to make a choice like this kind of thing. And I'm okay with my decision and stuff like this. And this apparently like caught like a lot of right wing spheres caught on to this video. Like, at first, this video was kind of unknown. It was situated, uh, I you know, who's watching this fashion company for their, like, YouTube account to see this thing, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. then it, like, got caught by the sort of, like, right-wing media sphere and kind of, like, went viral that, like, oh, my God, this fashion company is, like, promoting homicide, doctor-assisted homicide, and, like, all this weird stuff. So this is sort of, like, what is sort of like uh, motivating Ezra's talk about made in this episode. And we'll get into like more of the details in a second, but like the right out the gates, Ezra claims that more people will die of made than COVID-19 in 2022. And he just says that matter of factly. And I tried looking up to see if there is any credible source that makes this claim. And I cannot find one. And also, by looking at at least the 2021 numbers, I don't think that it's possible. So in 2021, Mm -hmm. for example, there were 16,000 COVID deaths, and there was at least 10,000 made deaths. And that was for 2021. In 2022, I think we're nearing something like 18,000 COVID deaths. So more people have died of COVID. Hooray. Congratulations, Canada. Uh, Yeah. But I don't think, in the, given like the, the trending of like made as well, I'm not sure that it's going to trend that much, that they're going to get an additional 8,000 made deaths. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like, <laughs> it just doesn't seem plausible to me based on the trends of made. So but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. And when the, the numbers come around in 2022, uh, I, I will stand corrected. But uh, it just mm-hmm. seems a little... A little weird. So then we get to the actual campaign itself. So the woman in the video, her name is Jennifer Hatch. And the the background to her story is complicated. And I will get into it in a second. But I do want to frame, based on like how I sort of described what the campaign was doing, Ezra plays both the CEO, I think, of Simons, and then plays the advertisement, I guess is the best way to describe it, of the woman. It was more like a, a vignette or like a uh, 
a documentary piece. It wasn't even really like an advertisement. Uh, but they played, Ezra plays that video as well. And this is his immediate response to having watched the video uh, of the woman before she died. I mean, you don't see the death, but it's her talking about how, like, she's going to, and then she did shortly after the, the video was made. Yeah. And so this is his immediate response after watching it. That's satanic, isn't it? So, so naturally, Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster loves it. Just euphoric about the normalization and the commercialization of euthanasia. Here's a, a story they wrote, 1,500 words of pro-euthanasia propaganda without a single voice of concern or criticism or a disabled advocate, just, just gushing over murder. In fact, the reality of government-sponsored homicide is not just unglamorous compared to that sexy ad. It's deeply troubling. So uh, the things I wanted to highlight there was like, for one, he calls it satanic. And then he goes on to talk about how it's trying to like make made sexy. And most of the episode uh, is him centering this idea of like how they're trying to like sexualize made by like these like slick uh, like marketing campaigns or something like this uh mm -hmm. even though this was like a one-off thing done by someone i'm guessing who uh is interested in the topic of made and wanted to produce this thing rather than some sort of like i don't know concerted media campaign but the other thing that's weird there is I mean, it is true. So th there was a CBC article that discussed the, uh, the video. And in it, they primarily talk about the woman who's in the video. Now, Ezra says there was no, like, disability advocate told in the story. But then the thing that always, like, it, like, sits, it, like, even some of, like, the right-wing reporting on this is the woman involved in the production of this video who in the end decided to go through with MAID, is an advocate for herself who suffers from a disability. Is she not? But, like, it's almost like her and her choices and her wishes are, like, completely erased from how anyone talks about this story. Yeah. Which seems really weird to me, considering that she went along and okayed the production of this movie. <laughs> Which seems to me, at least some, and like her friends were involved in the production of this film and like say that like nothing in the film was like portrayed in a way against her wishes. Like, mm -hmm. so it's just like frustrating to me that like the way some people in the media, like not just uh, Ezra, but like some more mainstream right wing people, even like writing in the National Post, uh, and even in CTV, which we'll get to in a second, have portrayed this video. And then there's also calling it satanic. Like, they really are trying to motivate their religious right portion of their audience against MAID in a specific way, in the same way that they galvanized the right wing against uh, abortion, for example, in, mm. in America. And here too, but like, they're, they're using the same sort of like, angle and way about it i think a better way to like look at it might be similar to like the war on drugs too where it is like there are obviously like you know issues with opioids and like you know the drug trade and yada 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 but then like you know 
the end result is to just, like, demonize the existence of it, rather than, like, the social conditions that lead to, you know, the thing. Like, it is to, you know, increase policing, to increase, like, control, rather than to, like, change the conditions that might lead people who, like, could live and want to live to, like, push them towards, like, medical assisted dying. You know, it's it's never, their solution is never to raise ODSP levels, it's never to, you know, actually make the lives of people who are suffering better. It's only to make it so that they have to suffer, like, more at the end of the day. Like, And it's the same with the drug trade, where it's like, you know, there's a reason people that go, that people go to, like, opioids, there are a reason that people go to, like, you know, I don't know, like, like, it's, no, I mean, you're, you're correct. It's, it's making it a individualized problem. Like the doctors are committing yeah. homicide rather than there being like structures in place. And, and like, I'll let you finish your thought, but like, I, I think there is an interesting angle, like for one, especially with Ezra, because Ezra 100% will never touch on the systemic issues ever. He doesn't bring up yeah. any of the healthcare uh, reasons for why people are choosing made. It's just always like, this is like a, a sin. It's satanic, right? It's, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. no like discussions of the systems at all, ever. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah, people go to, or like, you know, people who start off on like, you know, just a couple painkillers for their back or whatever. Or, you know, people who are homeless, people who are like, you know, otherwise struggling you know, you end up taking fentanyl because it's remarkable at relieving suffering. Like, you know, I've only had it in a medical context when I broke bones. It was the most relaxed that I've ever felt, you know? <laughs> like, it was the calmest that I, And I had a broken, shattered, and dislocated ankle. Like, and I was just like, wow, things are all right. You know, like... No shit people turn to it, because our society has created, like, created a funnel towards it, you know? Like, it is not the, like, end person, you know? It's not the person who sells them fentanyl. It's not the person who, like, it's not the doctor that, like, administers made. It might be the doctor, like, you know, it might be the people who, like, first get them into fentanyl. It might be, you know, you can place a little bit more responsibility on them, perhaps. You know, similarly, like, you can place responsibility on some of, like, the psychiatrists and the doctors that are, like, being like, hey, have you thought about MAID to people who might otherwise be fine? You know, yeah, like, there are harms that are occurring all along the route. But it's not as if, like, the end is responsible for the entire way down yeah i mean like obviously like individual responsibility will never go away completely it's just like how do you deal with the problem because it's not like we're gonna like i don't know sit everyone down with an opioid addiction and have a stern talking to them or something (laughs) you know what i mean so it's like it comes to like there's other ways that we could deal with this problem that deals with the fact that, like, for example, like, in the case of the opioid crisis, where you had pharmaceutical companies specifically uh, that 
we're pushing these things on the doctors and then giving the doctors like fun getaways and we're like oh why don't you push our drug instead and like you know so like mm-hmm. maybe instead of like you know sure individually if you know someone who has an opioid addiction you might be better able to treat them on an individual level maybe depending on what that yeah. means right but it's like but maybe as a society we can fix the the structures in place that made it easier for that person to to get hooked on them in the first place in such a way that it ruined their lives because not every usage of opioids is a uh, bad and for example the woman in the the video jennifer hatch uh, had to use opioids because of her condition uh, constantly. So it's opioids can have a use. Uh, yeah. But like, I mean, this is the thing that I want to get into because, uh, or at least in describing her case, because there is like an interesting like systemic angle involved in her case that I think is at least worth acknowledging that the uh, clothing company that decided to produce this thing did not touch on this angle, which is mm-hmm. the the healthcare angle of it. Now, this like conflicts with many other parts of the story in that like there's aspects of this that make me uh, I don't know what the word is like uneasy. So like it turns out, for example, that Jennifer had spoken to CTV anonymously long before this ad was conceived of, and in that interview, uh. That was when she had chosen that she was going to go through with MAID. So, like, she hadn't officially filed any paperwork, whatever. But in that interview with CTV, she acknowledged that part of the issue was uh, the lack of support she got from BC's healthcare system. And in particular, when they uh, reached out to BC, the the BC health system, one of the reasons why uh, they basically said, uh, she wasn't getting the treatment where she needed had to do with like a financial element to it. Right mm-hmm. now that's going to get complicated in a second too. But the first thing I want to point out is it's kind of like, I don't know what, how this works in terms of like uh journalists, but like nowhere in the piece, do they acknowledge that she was okay with being outed as the anonymous person? Uh, they just sort of like, well, she's dead now. So, so we're gonna say this is the person who anonymously contacted us, and that just feels weird to me, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, granted, like it, overall, not really relevant. It's just like it feels like almost like everyone in this story just like completely like does not care what this Jennifer Hatch person feels or thinks, but is just like using her for her like their own like political maneuvers, you know. But I thought that was weird. But in terms of like what was going on, so she suffers from something that's called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, so EDS okay, for yeah. short. Uh, so you know of this? Mm. Uh, it sounds terrifying. Uh, it has to do with something to do with the, the collagen in your organs. And you basically, uh, over time, will start having your, your organs rupture causing Mm -hmm. severe, severe pain, which is why most people suffering from this are on some kind of painkiller or opioids or something similar to this. The, the life, uh, the average lifespan of someone with EDS is not long. I think 48 is their average lifespan. Uh, she was 37 when she went in with maid. So not out of that realm, but like part of the other issue is there's not a, a ton of like EDS specialists. 
So when you talk about a, a financial constraint, part of the financial constraint is not everyone can just pick up themselves and like move to another area of the country where these specialists exist. And mm -hmm. I would love a system personally where we could just have every specialist everywhere. <laughs> you know, that would be wonderful. And I realized like even in my like utopian vision, there's going to be limits to that. Now I wish like I'm sure there's some way to work out this system in our current system where you can somehow financially help people move, but you are going to have people who don't want to leave the people who are taking care of them for other reasons to go get like there's tons of complicated aspects to to this story, right? So it's not just the financial element, but like that clearly does play a role here because you could the other element is the reason why there was a financial impediment is not only are there like the specialists could live far away, but it's like there's certain surgeries that could be available that could help in some ways as well. But uh, given the priority rankings of when surgeries happen, uh, people with EDS might not be, be taken first. So then one of your options is you can go to the United States, but those surgeries can cost an upwards of like $100,000, right? And so yeah. it's like, you could see how this, it's a big, complicated thing, and there are financial issues. It's just like, there's no, like, for at least this issue, there's no, like, simple financial fix to this. Because there's, it's a rare disease, the specialists are rare, and some of the treatments are, are deprioritized for various reasons. And that, like, again, we could fund our system way better to have more room to prioritize these things. Yeah. But either way, the point being is all that said and done, she chose to go through with Maid and wanted to make this promotional film to be like, this is an okay option to choose. And it's the one that I'm happy with choosing. And I want to make sure that other people know that it's available if they want to make that choice as well. And she seemed happy and content with her choice. And all her friends speak that way of her. And so it's like, it seems weird to me or not weird, it's just like, to me, it's like, it seems so disrespectful the way the journalists, including Ezra, have handled this woman's case. Where, like, could could she lived a bit longer if, like, we had a better healthcare system? Probably yes. But mm -hmm. also, this thing was going to kill her eventually anyways. In a very painful death that she did not want to live through. Yeah, And so it's like, these questions aren't easy to, like, wrestle with all the time, you know? But it's being, like, boxed into this very, like, black and white, like, this is satanic or evil, or like, <laughs> you know? And I just, I, I, I don't know, I felt for this woman in reading her story and watching her video. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's fucked, you know? And I can't imagine living with something like that, like, uh... It does not sound fun at all. So no. Yeah, not not a good time. Now, I have one more at least uh, claim that is made by Ezra that I want to play, just because it's it's kind of uh, absurd. And then I have a, a little bit more to say about uh, the made stuff in response to his clip. But here's here's one of the the final points that Ezra sort of makes about made or or something that's coming down the line that he's fearmongering about. When completing the medical certificate of death, physicians A must list the illness, disease or disability leading to the request for made as the cause of death. 
and B, must not make any reference to medical assistance in dying or the medications administered on the certificate. But, but that's a lie. The disease leading to the request for suicide, I'm poor, I'm depressed, I'm in pain, that didn't kill them. The doctor did. And the doctors are being told to lie about it. That's Canada. It's normal here now. The first thing I want to highlight there is just like, so he read at the beginning there a, a portion of the, uh, it's the Ontario physicians sort of like guidelines in terms of MAID. And he makes it sound like almost like the MAID deaths are not being counted, but they're still being counted. It's just like the death certificate is saying that like the cause of death was not made, but like whatever underlying condition they had before they received MAID, right? Yeah. And there's some sense in which, like, that makes perfect sense. You know, it's like, I, I looked at, the, like, the statistics, too, the breakdown of made. I mean, like, it wasn't until recently all of made was done, what, what they call about, like, foreseeable deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that it's, like, given... So, for example, uh, even in 2021... 65% of the MAID recipients were people suffering from incurable cancers. 65%. So that's most MAID, and it's people who are naturally going to die anyways, but are choosing to die early so they don't go through the pain of dying from cancer. Now, yeah. that, you know, the reason why they call it foreseeable natural death is that, like, if they don't get MAID, they are going to die from cancer. Now... Up until 2020, or so in 2021, that was the first year where they allowed what they called like non-foreseeable uh, reasons. So this had to do with mental health and like other things that had been added, mm -hmm. where like someone could be suffering severely from a mental illness and uh, there's no like foreseeable end, but may apply for made for various reasons and stuff. Now, that is possibly going to add to an increase in made in 2021 when that was the first year that that was available the uh unforeseen unforeseeable uh natural deaths uh they only represented 2.2 percent of the overall made deaths and of course i don't know what each individual one of those is like to assess whether it was justified not justified or or due to uh, all the various things that we've talked about uh in yeah. terms of the the structural reasons why people would receive made but it is clear to me that like especially with like 65 percent of them being cancers that are incurable like made is mostly and like the age demographic of people using made is from like mid 60s to 90 is like the the age range where made is most often being used and so it's like this are made is mostly being used for people who are going to die painful deaths and choose not to. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very weird to think, and, and like we have all this data, <laughs> getting back to what Ezra said, because they're actually tabulating this information. It's not like, you know, and so, and of course, since most of made is like for foreseeable deaths, if the cancer, it, it's, I mean, they play this way with deaths generally, so when it comes to COVID, right, they get to be like, well, you didn't die from the COVID. You you died because your heart stopped for some reason. And it's like, well, your, yeah. your heart wouldn't have stopped if you didn't have COVID. 
right? And so it's like, yes, COVID was the cause. But then they're like, oh, well, so it's like in this case, it's like, it's, it's a weird sort of reversal where it's like, yes, you wouldn't have died right now if it was not for the fact that you went through MAID, obviously. But if you didn't receive mm-hmm. the MAID, you were going to die of the other things. And we want that to be acknowledged as well so that we have it in our statistics that, like, for example, like cancer is still the leading cause of death in Canada, right? Still important to have that information, even though made is the thing uh, that, I guess, made the death a little earlier. I should say, too, it's kind of fucked up that, like, COVID is the third leading cause of death for, like, the third year in a row. (laughs) Just, like, uh, you know, this thing that wasn't there is now the third leading cause of death three years in a row. Yeah. Fantastic. I think the only thing that beats it is cancer and heart disease are still uh, bigger killers. And then, and then I think about that and I go, you know, there's all this stuff about like learning to change your diet and to like improve all this stuff so you don't get cardiovascular disease, but we can't wear fucking masks anymore. Like somehow that's asking too much, you know, but we all realize when it comes to like, you know, cardiovascular health that we got to like, you got to exercise, you got to eat well. <laughs> but yes, that's most of the made stuff. I, I, I just think that like, it, it, I think, like, I framed it as we had a disagreement before. I don't think we have a disagreement. It's more like, I think, uh, listening to how the right wing is talking about this has gotten me worried. Where, like, I think the obvious answer is a structural one uh, in dealing with the dealing with poverty in this country that we don't actually deal with. Uh, it, it's less to do with made itself as a thing that people can opt into. It's more like made existing in the current system that we have that causes uh, issues. And how to fix that is, I mean, there's tons of things we can do and we're just not doing it. That being said, it's being weaponized by the right wing right now. And the last example I will have uh, to play us out of this topic is Sheila Gunn-Reed went on like a a world media tour and ended up on Fox News' Laura Ingram show to talk about uh, this shit happening in Canada. So I, I will play a clip just to see like how these talking points are being exported to like the far right in America. Sheila Gunn-Reed, editor-in-chief of Rebel News. She's running a national campaign to force the government to end this practice. Sheila, it seems to me that they're selling assisted suicide with a, you know, very sophisticated, um, fun, kind of adventurous message. Uh, What the heck is going on up north? Laura, I just want to thank you so much for your interest in this. Unlike the corporate media here in Canada that's been tainted by Justin Trudeau's bailouts at Rebel News, we're one of the few independent outlets that can still speak about these in these issues freely, but also with the sense of horror the issue rightly deserves. We see companies do this all the time. We see them align themselves with government on issues like climate change and BLM and reproductive issues. They go woke. This is what it means to be woke in Canada now. So why wouldn't corporations align themselves with this next anti-human, anti-life thing? I just want to point out to you how extreme Canada is on this issue. Justin Trudeau's government has removed the 10-day wait time from when you ask for medical assistance in suicide and when you receive it. And you don't have to do it in writing. You can just verbally ask the state to kill you. 
to put this all into context, we had about 16,000 deaths in Canada related to COVID. Depends on how you count that of COVID or with COVID, but it was 16,000 deaths. We know that there were 10,000 requests in writing for medically assisted suicide, and that doesn't take into account the deaths that occurred because somebody just verbally asked for it and received it on the very day that they asked for it. She said that last point, and I was like, what are you talking about? And I can find no evidence of what she's saying. Uh, like, I, I don't believe that that's happening. <laughs> that there's just these cases of of made that are slipping through the cracks because, like, someone just walks into the doctor office and be like, hey, doctor, kill me. <laughs> the doctor's like, okay, let's not sign any papers. Boop, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Just wild. And those, like, numbers she gave, the funny thing is because, like, Ezra was talking about how Maid's going to surpass COVID deaths or whatever. And, like, those are the exact 2021 numbers that I read earlier that Sheila is quoting. Like, so it's like, I, I don't know, Sheila at least went out of her way to maybe, like, read a few things. <laughs> but, like... But also the way she presented it was like 16,000 total COVID deaths and like 10,000 total made deaths and like whatever else. Like, whereas it is 10,000 total made deaths, but 16,000 is just 2021, right? Well, no, the 10,000 made COVID? deaths were for 2021 as well. I think overall, okay. since made was introduced in Canada, there's been close to 30,000 deaths. Uh, but it was introduced in 2016. So it's okay. 30,000 since 2016 as opposed to the almost 50,000 of covid since 2020. Yeah. And you and the thing is too is like they've been like projecting made numbers into the future in like weird ways and like that is also problematic as well because like you're going to see a ramping up of made given that not a lot of people know that it is available. I, my guess is given the reporting that's happening now based on like the controversies arising out of it uh, it's interesting to see whether that would actually increase numbers because now people are more aware of it or whether that'll decrease numbers as people see it as sinful because of some of the ways that it's been reported or stuff like that. But I, I don't know how it's going to affect the the numbers, but like they're not going to go up forever. That's <laughs> which is usually how people do these like weird projections where it's like it's like, no, it's it's been in a steady increase, but like not by much, you know? Yeah. Um, just on the like independent media note, <laughs> also like gotta get it in there, right? Like National Post and like the other, what are they? What's that called? Post Media companies have just been like all over this issue. Like it's not the biggest newspapers in the country are talking about it. It's not like. You know, there's stuff in the Star, there's stuff in Globe and Mail, like it literally is everywhere. They were one of the people but, who like criticized this ad in very weird ways, where they tried to use her friend's words against her by saying like the reason why she went for maid was because of financial reasons. When the friends are like, that was part of like a whole thing, you know. But it's mm -hmm. anyway, but it like, the weird thing is, is like the National Post is compared to like Rebel News is Rebel News will never mention those systemic factors. 
where the National Post will bring up the systemic factors, but then just never say that, like, oh, we can fix them by <laughs> spending more money on healthcare like, funding, you know? Yeah. But also, I just, I felt like the, the independent news thing, like, I feel like the pitch there is just to be like, hey, this is who we are, give us money, I have a huge platform, so I'm <laughs> gonna advertise our company. That's That's how I read that. And, like, the way the right-wing media sphere, like, took this stuff, like, they got a ton of blowback for this advertising thing they did. Mm-hmm. Even though I, like, like, screw the CEO part of it. I'm still, like, this is the story that Jennifer wanted to tell about her decision. And I have respect for that. I, I don't know what the CEO <laughs> this fashion company wanted to do with this. I don't I don't know if, like, he's personally, like involved in uh, a made story that's not jennifer's like so therefore he he just wants to promote it because he's like known someone or if it was just like i i don't i don't know like <laughs> he thought it was gonna maybe he did think it was gonna win him some woke points I <laughs> also i wonder like their quebec company do they give a shit about what english canada is saying about them I, th- I think they're based out of Quebec. He sounded pr- pretty Anglo in the thing, but I don't know if... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I also love that, that this is wokeness in Canada is now medical assistance and dying. That's, <laughs> you know, the demographic I know for being woke is the 60 and above demographic. <laughs> Very woke. Very Famous very woke. for it. Yeah. So... The, he ends the show with an interview with Lauren Gunter about that bill that was recently passed in Alberta that, like, everyone was talking about that I, I really haven't read much about. The thing, it, was, it wasn't a complete sovereignty thing, but it was like a, we should have more power as Alberta bill or something. <laughs> you know what bill I'm talking about, right, Vietnam? <laughs> uh Yeah, the, yeah, I, I forgot just, about I that. Just, that was a while ago. I the know. sovereignty bill. Yeah. Either way, so this bill thing was passed, and he has Lauren Gunter on. And my favorite part was just as the interview was going, the ed- it just ends abruptly, like they edited it incorrectly. <laughs> so I was spared listening to Lauren Gunter. So hooray for that! Perfect. So we get to December first, and they spend a lot of time talking about this thing called ESG. Do you know what ESG is? Electro spectral ghosts i wish it is environmental social governance and it is this new thing that's like these companies are signing up for it and it's a way to be like you get a certain like esg score based on how environmentally friendly you are social conscious you are and like how you govern your companies accordingly right and of course the right wing james Lindsay has been someone who's like really against this esg stuff Ron DeSantis has been going after it in Florida. It's this big thing, right? And Ezra says something that uh, I thought that you would like because, I mean, he doesn't say it in directly this words, but he basically makes this argument, which is the argument made in the Samuel Chambers book, which is uh, there's no such thing as the economy. Ezra basically mm-hmm. says that uh, that you can't make companies be ethical because their primary motivating force is to maximize shareholder value. So therefore, like, 
all these like side things about this social governance stuff. It's just all bullshit. But of course, like Samuel Chambers uh, brings that up to go, well, look, this means that like capitalism, you can't just reform your way out of capitalism. We got to scrap this whole capitalism thing where Ezra's point is like, well, no, we want the unfettered, <laughs> unregulated market that only cares about profits. How dare you come in here and meddle with it with your ESG scores, you know? <sighs> and uh yeah just really really silly but i mean like it gets really weird because i guess florida kicked out or did something to this blackrock company because they were promoting this esg stuff and ezra gets mad at the company because blackrock said you're gonna like cost florida like money you're gonna lose money because you're kicking out these businesses and like Ezra criticizes them on that front being like that's not true and then he spends the rest of the episode saying that these companies are all hypocrites anyways because they're investing in China and like own workshops in China where there's like poor working conditions etc mm. and the thing is like that's exactly my thought is like BlackRock is kind of correct, but not in the same way that Ezra thinks they are. The only reason they're adopting this ESG shit is so that they can appear like they care about social issues, that they can appear that they care about environmental issues, all while, like, say, running improper working conditions in China, right? Like, yeah. And so it's like, to me, it's like, that's not a contradiction. That's just, that is the game. Where Ezra thinks there's, like, this is more evidence of, like, wokeness taking over. When it's like, no, if wokeness was really taking over, they wouldn't have the, <laughs> you know, the poor working conditions over here. Or they wouldn't, like, say things about the environment but not actually follow through with them. Or, like... But instead, they just take these scores as, like... It's just a shield to make them look better so that they can make more money. So I do think that it's going to cost Florida business because I think wokeness is is commodifiable in a certain way, you know? Yeah, like greenwashing has been a thing for a while. So it's like, in a weird way, it is done to maximize profit. Because if it was, I mean, but this is why the Samuel Chambers point is so like spot on. Because it's like they're only doing this for the social uh, capital that will like increase their actual capital. Where if yeah. it stops giving them the actual capital because people have changed their minds or they see into the, the bullshit or whatever, they'll rather than actually following through they will just get rid of the <laughs> esg shit and go back to like what they were doing anyways as soon as it becomes like not profitable they will get rid of it right away you give us all your money we'll stop killing puppies in the puppy grinder <laughs> oh what's that you like the puppies in the puppy grinder now okay give us your money and we'll keep putting puppies in the puppy grinder it's just silly the way they talk about these things. Like, they're, they're, it's almost like they're so close to an actual critique of capital. But then they have to throw in all this bullshit about wokeness and stuff and completely miss the point. So then we reach the interview segment. And the interview segment was kind of interesting. It was with Ian Miles Chong. And Ezra wants to talk to Ian Miles Chong. Who, he's a rebel employee, but he's most known for, I think he got involved with Gamergate and, like, other shit. Like, he's, he's been around for a while. Uh, 
on the the right wing on Twitter. Most a lot of people know him. But I guess Elon Musk has been responding to Ian Miles Chong on Twitter. And so Ezra wants to talk to Ian Miles Chong to be like, oh hey, you're like Elon Musk's friend on Twitter. <laughs> And, uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. But, like, this is, like, the, the one main claim that Ian makes about Musk, and it is super fucking weird. So I'll just, uh, I'll play the clip. And joining us now via Skype is Ian Chong. Ian, great to see you again, and congratulations, not just on your work for Rebel News, but you are engaging with one of the richest, smartest, most consequential men in the world right now. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it feels like a privilege in a lot of ways. I mean, I wouldn't say this about just anyone. Um, I'm, you know, I've had a lot of celebrities interact with me. I, I couldn't care less. They're just anybody, you know, but Elon Musk, he is a once in a lifetime human being. And I know I sing his praises a lot. Some people have called me out on it. They're, they're like, oh, why are you cheerleading him so much? I'm like, well, have you ever met anyone at Elon Musk? I mean, look at what he's doing for humanity. You know, you may not agree with all the things he's doing. You may not agree with uh, his handling of Twitter, which some might say is very uh, uh, disorganized. But let's face it, he's getting results. I mean, it took Twitter how long to crack down on uh, child sexual exploitation? I mean, like, they never did, right? Ten plus years, they didn't do anything. And Tifa, five years, they didn't do anything. And he steps in. Within two weeks, he gets rid of all of this. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Child exploitation. It's done. There's no child it's exploitation. It's gone. All the anti-fascists are gone, too. We're gone. My Twitter got deleted, just Did by the way. Did you catch that? Like, this is the thing that I don't understand. He said Twitter had 10 years. They didn't do it. They did nothing. Antifa they then, didn't even try. Antifa then had five years. 2017, yeah. Five... But, like, the, he's talking about it in connection with Twitter. Like, did Antifa take over Twitter five years ago? <laughs> no, Antifa showed up five years ago at Charlottesville. Is that what he's saying? And was the goal of Antifa to, like, end child sexual exploitation on Twitter? No. Those are two unrelated things. Why did he connect them? Because he's saying that Elon got rid of both. That's what he's saying? Yeah. I did not catch that. I've listened to it several times. It sounds to me like he said that Antifa had five years to fix the sexual exploitation problem. And they failed at it. Otherwise, what did Antifa have five years to do? He doesn't... <laughs> And how did they fail at it? What did they not accomplish in five Twitter years? Twitter failed to get rid of Antifa. So Twitter had to get rid of Antifa? Yeah. Was that their goal? Yeah. That's what he's saying. But it like was they never had their goal, ten years... so how did they fail at it? He, it's the same bullshit that he's saying about child sexual <laughs> Like, what? <laughs> what are you not getting that he's lying? <laughs> I just think that maybe Antifa is still at Twitter. They're just the, they're waiting in the the uh, the wings with like a kill switch, just <laughs> ready to go. You can't stop them. They're they're everywhere. 
They're getting ready to bomb the nation's communications infrastructure. The world's. Those internet they're pipelines. They're bombing all the bridges the surrounding Twitter. <laughs> sharks are Antifa because they keep attacking the internet cables under the underwater. Sure. I hope they get it. I hope they, I hope they finish the job. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. I, I will say, because I did look into this uh, question of whether or not, you know, the child sexual exploitation problem has been fixed on uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. And there is absolutely no evidence. Like, it's one of those things where from the outside, it's hard to measure that stuff. So Ezra is coming out going, I did this thing. And everyone's like, what's the proof you did this thing? And he hasn't provided it. And not only has he not provided any evidence that he did the thing, he fired all the people working for the truth and safety portion of Twitter that actually dealt with this problem. Leading most people to believe that it's getting worse rather than better, but we have no way of knowing. (laughs) Yep. That sounds about right. Yet Ian Miles Chong wants to say he's he fixed it already. It took Twitter ten years, but he did it immediately. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's all. It just took one man, one man to fix everything. God, I hate Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. I love like they're just gonna be so wrong. I mean, like at this point. Like, it was already going to shit. Wasn't this, like, like a week away from, like, when everyone jumped ship and it was, like, chaos was raining and everyone thought, like, when did the World Cup begin? <laughs> because, like, I have a feeling this was, Ian Miles Chong saying this was on the cusp of all that shit coming down. So, good, good fun. The last day. Not much to talk about. Ezra watches a panel of journalists at Carleton University talking about violence they've received from right-wing people, especially involved with the trucker convoy stuff. And most of Ezra's response to the panel, it was hard to, like, clip anything, but he, he basically is just like, well, if you were reporters in Egypt, you would have been sexually assaulted, but... You just got mean words thrown at you, so therefore you're not actually being harassed. That's his whole argument. It's a bad one. And, uh, yeah. Like, that. that's pretty much all he says through the whole thing. What He listens to clips of the panel and is just like, oh, but were you really harassed? Like, sure, you might be receiving death threats, and those aren't nice. But are you really receiving violence? And then his whole other narrative is that only Rebel News has actually received violence. After all, look at what's happened to David Menzies over and over again. And Alexa got shot, so... <laughs> only Rebel News is the only media company in all of Canada that has ever been the, the victim of violence, according to Ezra. <sighs> he also wonders why like this panel didn't discuss the rising violence of Antifa against journalists. And... Uh, I would just say because it's not happening, but that would be an easy, easy answer. answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that's that segment. And then we get to the interview segment, which uh, Ezra talks to Janine Eunice, who, again, is the person who left the left and is now working for a Coke-funded law firm. And I get... So, like, her law firm got to depose... Is it supposed to like bring in uh, Dr. Fauci for a hearing? And they got to ask Dr. Fauci some questions. And you would think that like, oh, this would be an opportunity. You know, they get to expose some of their conspiracy theory stuff. All the questions that Ezra asks Janine was are like of the vein. Like, ooh, what was he like in person? <laughs> and then like... It's at that moment where I'm just like, it's all it's all a game to them. It's all just like they've like created these like celebrity creatures in their head. Like Dr. Fauci isn't a celebrity to me, but he's a celebrity to them. He's this like mysterious creature that they've created. And now it's like, ooh, you're in the presence of this mysterious creature we've created, you know? Yeah. And and Fauci's answers were all just like fine. <laughs> Dude's old. He's been around for a while. I don't know. But that's it. What 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 do you have to say to that? Like, yeah, okay. What was he like? He had wispy dark hair. <laughs> he, okay. <laughs> he pulled COVID out of a bag to show us his, his magical gifts he created in the Wuhan lab. <laughs> They just got a random guy off the street <laughs> with a paper bag. Stands, They're like, look, it's Fauci. Stands up while he's on the stand. You get a COVID. You get a COVID. <laughs> oh, my <sighs> God. It, I, I love, like, it, it, it's the same thing when it comes to, like, the convoy stuff, where it's like, this is the person that, like, you built these huge conspiracies uh, of. You finally get to confront them. And you have nothing. You have so much nothing that you have to either be like, oh, the peasants. Or you have to like go, oh, like, what was he like? Oh, he was so, he was so weird. And it's like, that's all you got. That is all you got. Once you get the opportunity to actually under oath, like confront these people with a threat of perjury. And you got nothing. I would have done better at cross-examining Trudeau. I would have done a way. <laughs> I would have had more pointed questions to ask that dude than all the stupid questions that the trucker people asked him. Mm-hmm. Asking questions really isn't that hard, but they just kind of like get overwhelmed by the idea of actually having to think. Yeah, because it's like it's like oh my god, oh my god, it's the person that we've invented in our head. <laughs> It's it's the evil bad man. Oh no, I'm getting stage fright. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, because they view it as like interviewing like Darth Vader or yeah. like Hitler. Like it's like, oh wow, this is the guy that wants to kill everybody. Like he's got the Death Star pointed at us right now. But like in setting it up that way too, it's like you're never. You're never going to get, like, a perfectly crafted question that, like, will, I guess, like, uh, solve all the problems. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, at least to your audience, too. There's never going to be that, like, 
Because they aren't that cartoonishly evil caricature that you've made up. So you're never going to score that big victory where you, like, catch the Empire and, like, the, the, the huge lie. All the lies are, like, the little tiny stupid fucking lies that all politicians do. And they don't add up to much other than it's like, yeah, maybe we should hold our politicians more accountable. You know, it's it's not like some grand evil scheme. It's not the World Economic Forum pulling some fucking strings. It's opportunism and careerism and all the other stupid things that go into politics. Yeah. Yep. Woohoo. The journal Trang, Chuang, I actually don't know how to say it properly. Um, it's C-H-U-A-N-G. Um, I don't know how much emphasis to place on the U. Um, basically, like, they're this communist Chinese journal that is, like, very critical of the government. Um, and they did a thing in February 2020 uh, called Social Contagion microbiological class war in china uh it, they eventually like updated it and turned it into a book um with like then current uh information and stuff like that uh but this one's just like from the start of covid and it's about like the failures of the chinese state and like how like their response to covid was not good um and like they really like mess it up at the beginning um and then, like, kind of continued to mess it up as things went. Um, so, you know, a bit of, like, context for the revolts, because, like, not much seems to have changed in the meantime with how the Chinese government approached things. Uh, and then also, I'm going to share... Um, so, Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung... Uh, is a like German uh, non-profit that does a lot of um, I don't know pretty like cool um, like articles interviews and like stuff about like kind of like the global left um, they have offices like kind of throughout Europe uh, and a few like other countries as well and they interview people from kind of like all over. Uh, they had an interesting one about recently also about um, the like socialist party in Slovenia uh, is a junior partner in government. And so like they interviewed him, like the leader of the party to like talk about like, you know, how a socialist party can act within a like capitalist government to at least get some like moderate wins type of thing. Um but they also did an article on elections and national congresses in China. And so it gives a little bit of overview into like how the Chinese government actually is structured and works and how their like form of democracy functions. And amazingly, just like liberal democracy, it kind of sucks. Um, but at least like, you know, the basic of the structures is something that is good to know to understand like anything that you are reading about how china operates um 
And social contagion kind of gets into that too with like the regional governments and the local governments and like everything like that and their confrontations with the like central national government. Those were all words, but like, have you ever just considered that they're China and therefore bad? Uh huh. <laughs> Listen, all I listen to is Rebel News, so that's all I know about China. What well, what else is there to know? China True. bad. You know what? Yeah. You yeah. Don't, you don't need to read words. Words. Come on. Uh. Also. Um, this episode might not be out by then, um, at least locally, and I think in the eastern half of the U.S., there's a big storm coming, um, and I know at least in our city, the ball has really been dropped on, um, warming shelters and, um, like, the general response to, like, helping the homeless and vulnerable population, uh, so, you know... Find your local organizations, donate money to them. If you have time, volunteer. Uh, things are going to be bad. Um, the storm is supposed to hit in two days. Um, I am expecting, like, quite a few deaths to happen locally. Um, so, you know try to figure out something if you can to like try to minimize that if you can um it's gonna be a rough week on our end i think on my end in particular uh just because i am kind of like interacting with people like that all the time um so yeah there are a lot of there's always you know good volunteer groups in any like major town or city um there are also a lot of like good and underfunded uh paid positions that like you know can always use support to like buy supplies and whatever um or just to like keep operating um yeah you know if you if you have time and money try to do what you can and uh i'll just say a good way to at least individually protect yourself is just not drive anywhere on friday if you're leaving in southern ontario because uh yeah that is one way to to not die yourself is to just not be in a automobile on the roads in these conditions i think they said stratford was going to get somewhere between 50 to 75 centimeters of snow on friday that's a lot of fucking snow (laughs) that and like 80 kilometer hour winds like, the, and the day after, there's going to be this flash freezing event because it's going to rain all day Thursday and then apparently freeze over. And then we're going to yeah. get a, a wallop of snow. So, yeah. Um, so things are not going to be fun. But, uh, and I do, I am planning on releasing this episode that, tomorrow. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, you will hopefully get this warning. But I mean, I'm pretty sure you've all heard this warning by now if you're in Southern Ontario. But it's, uh, yeah, I know, like, you're going to have Christmas plans, you have other things. Try to leave maybe a day earlier, or, like, you know, find... I think I think by the time the episode comes out, it'll be way too late. Well, it'll be late for that warning. It's just, like, hopefully you, you've already thought some of these things through. But just don't, don't be on the roads on Friday. It's that simple. Yeah. God. 
But, uh, I mean, you could save your gas money, and then you could give it to us over patreon.com slash imperial news. I mean, if you support and you enjoy what you've heard so far, you can do that, you know. Uh, you know, you can also find us on Twitter, still, uh, at Imperial News with a Z. I have considered uh, moving to, like, Mastodon or other things. I've looked at Mastodon. It looks unappealing to me. But, uh... Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll be... Maybe we'll go to Tumblr. Maybe we'll be a... <laughs> maybe we'll be Imperial News over on Tumblr. Instagram is another I one. Will I will bully you off of Tumblr. I don't... I don't I mean, I, listen, you bully me here. What's the... <laughs> mm. uh, on Tumblr, there's anonymous messages. <laughs> So I won't know that it's you. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'll just get things saying, like, die. <laughs> Leave this place. No, I will. I don't know where. I... Either way, I don't know where I'm going. We'll, we'll figure that out. But yeah. uh, for now, we're on Twitter still. And we have a Discord set up. I, I think mainly we're over on Discord. So uh, go find it in the show notes and you can uh, follow us there. I plan, uh, hopefully, to do more Twitch streams next year. Uh once I get some things uh, figured out in my personal life. And also, uh, I, I do plan on making some YouTube material as well. So you can find all of that stuff in the show notes. And lastly, if you have any questions, you can email us at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. And thank you for listening. And you can please visit the website alexagotshot.com <laughs> where you can just listen on repeat alexa b actually that's just rebelnews.com if you want to... <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but you know you can don't every time you donate to alexagotshot.com it'll play you that clip over and over again just so you can relive it over that's and over again. also just rebel news yeah but instead we get the money <laughs> Okay. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?